As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome everybody to the VanCast. Today we've got a special episode. I talked for too long all by myself the other day. 64 minutes of Drance was not what anybody needed. So I figured I'd best bring on a guest, someone to, to help uh, carry the load as it were. And so we've got, we've dipped back into the well. We've got our second time guest, Canucks head coach Travis Green. We talked training camp. We talked about last season, uh, the mark that it left. We talked Nate Schmidt. Uh, and I tried to do a lightning round with him, which, you know, he, he did okay and um, wasn't his best. Wasn't his best performance in the lightning round, but overall a really detailed conversation on the Canucks offseason, what to expect next, uh, what input he had on some of the moves that occurred. So stay tuned for that. It was it was a really fun conversation. And I just want to thank everybody who listened to the mailbag last week. Really an insane response, like truly touched by the amount of positive feedback we got, by the fact that so many of our listeners stuck around with us despite the departure of our, our beloved co-host, Jeff Patterson. Um, it was a lot of fun to do, and I was so gratified to see so many of you tune back in and stick with us. Uh, we've got Travis Green for you this week. We'll have another good guest for you next week. We're going to keep it going. We're going to talk to key Canucks decision makers uh, and just sort of spend some time this summer uh you know, figuring out exactly what the next iteration of the VanCast looks like, which we will launch prior to Canucks training camp in September. And I'm, I'm so excited to share those plans with you. But for now, you, you're stuck with me and whatever guests I can, um, you know, twist their arm to get on to join us. So without further ado, here's our conversation on the VanCast with the Canucks head coach. All right, welcoming on to the VanCast for the second time, uh, Travis Green, joining Farhan, Harmon, and I think Rick Dollywall is like the only two-time guests in VanCast history. Uh, it's a man who you've heard answer a lot of my questions 
About 33% of the time, it's a really good answer. 33% of the time, it's a mutual giggling fit. And 30%, 30% of the time, uh, I get dunked on and Twitter roasts me for asking a dumb question. It's Canucks head coach, Travis Green. How are you doing, Travis? Good, Grant, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How's the summer going? Uh, it's been good. Um, a little time to get away, which I think a lot of people needed after last season. And mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of took us into the draft and free agency and... and uh, which I, I, as a coach, obviously think that it was uh, a success for us, and, and now just gearing up for uh, for the upcoming season. Did you need a little more time after the way that twenty twenty one played out, just the season as a whole, but also for you personally, with you know the the illness you battled, and and also you know the contract status, the way that the pressure mounted on you personally and your club over the course of last season. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, it, you know, if I'm being honest, yeah, I did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we uh, it was it was a tough season for everyone, um, but I wouldn't say it was uh, like the pressure wasn't the part of it. It was just after the season that uh, we had, I just felt like if I wanted to be productive, um, we really needed to get away a little bit. Uh, I don't think people understand that, you know, the magnitude of playing so many games and a condensed schedule, uh, the whole COVID thing. Uh, I just felt like I needed some time to just kind of, I guess, re-energize, um, refocus really. Uh, I find when I'm in that, in that, in that state of mind, I, I can uh, look back at things a lot clearer. And I thought it was important to just take some time, not just for myself, but for the players. And, um, before I even had communication with the players again, I wanted them to have some time away uh, from us because because last season, uh, you know, the players were at the rink every day, and there was testing every day. Uh, and not that you're, uh, I'd say it in a way of people wanting to feel sorry for these players. It's a real privilege and an honor to play in the NHL. Uh, but when you're doing it every day and you're going through the grind, and and the players do feel that pressure because they want to win bad. And when I said it wasn't because of the pressure, hey, there is pressure to play in the NHL and to win in the NHL. And these guys never got a break from it at all. And I just felt like, you know, we really needed some time at the end of the year to to kind of take a step back and analyze things. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's a job, right? And, and last year, it was a job you, you couldn't get away from, right? Like you couldn't even take a day trip up to Whistler and just like go for a walk. Like you had to hit the rink and test. Yeah. So, I mean... Anyone who can't relate to that, I think, is uh, a little bit out to lunch. We'll come back to the season and the summer, and I do want to ask you, too, about how big a departure it was to take it easy because, uh, you know, you're known as a pretty hard-driving uh, person just in terms yeah. of your own work ethic. But but I want to I want to throw you a curveball, <laughs> and I'm going to take I'm going to take a risk here. This is the one and, where because uh, usually you, I don't know how you put it, but where the Twitter people uh – Slam on your dunk yeah, on me. Yeah, dunk on me, for <laughs> sure. Well, and I, I, this is a risk uh, because I want to tell our listeners, I have this great memory from Penticton Young Stars, like back in the day. I think it was 2016, like right before I got the Panthers job and you were still coaching Utica. And I remember there's this TV reporter who comes in from the interior, probably not even a sports reporter. And they do your first availability, like right after a, pre, a you know pre-tournament practice. And... <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> this was clearly someone who'd like never worked with you and didn't really react as, uh, as you grew increasingly more skeptical while they give, gave you a preamble, much like this one. And they essentially, they essentially tried to play a game of word association with you. And, and they explained the premise. You're like, eyebrows arched. You were like, oh boy, this is not going to go well. And they, and they started asking you like in words about Penticton. They were like, wine country. Like prospects, <laughs> and you gave much zero. Like, much answers. like I know, I know what the eyebrow roll is because if you can see me now, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> it was uh, it was phenomenal. Like I think the last one was Castlegar, and and finally you just stopped him, and you were like, "Yeah, this is this isn't going to happen." Um, so, <laughs> so at the risk of recreating that excruciatingly awkward moment for our listeners, I want to I want to start you with like the Vancast version of a forty skate. Okay, this is a lightning round. Quick answers, quick questions, right. well, just to get the ball I'll, I'll rolling try here. To get the ball rolling for you. Yeah, thank you, man. Okay. I appreciate it. All right, let's go. Favorite part about coaching in Vancouver? Oh man, that's the lightning round. It's hard for a question like that. There's so many great. <laughs> uh, first of all, just it's the NHL. Being in the NHL and being in my hometown or home province is uh, is uh, is special to me. It's a privilege to be in the NHL. Hardest part about coaching in Vancouver? Uh, there isn't one. It's just, I just want to win. Favorite Vancouver restaurant? Alisa. Uh, Favorite Vancouver sushi place? Ooh, there's a lot. <laughs> Do you own a pair of Blundstones? Yes or no? No. Preferred brand of raincoat? Wouldn't know one. Wow. Favorite outdoor activity in Vancouver? Ooh. Uh, probably going for a walk or, or on the seawall. Um, Riding my bike to the rink. First place you take an out-of-town visitor that's never been to Vancouver before. Oh, man. The seawall on a, on a sunny day. Best pure athlete among anyone you ever played with or coached in the NHL. Whew. That is a tough one. Man. So many. Can't name one. Like, there's not one guy who stands out as, like, you could play ping pong with him and he'd just be, like, insane right off the bat. There's so many guys that are good athletes. They're good. I know. I find NHL hockey players are good. Uh, you go to the golf courts, everyone can play. Uh, you go to a ping pong table, like you said, everyone, you know, there's five, six guys in the team that are unbelievable. Uh, same. There's just a lot of good athletes. But then you go play two-touch and it's only the Europeans. <laughs> We're schooling everyone. <laughs> or you try to get a European to throw a baseball. And <laughs> um, best passer among anyone you played with or coached in the NHL? Oh, man. I have to go back a little ways. Jeez. Uh, uh, well, I think we've had a few with, uh, with the Twins. Obviously, Hank would be right up there. You know, mm -hmm. if I had to pick one guy, it'd probably be him. Best pure goal scorer? Oh, uh, Solani, McGillney. Hardest goalie to score on in practice that you've ever seen in the NHL? Jim Thomas. Best all-around person you've encountered in the business? Ooh, that's tough, too. <laughs> There's a lot. A lot of good people in, the, in our business. We're, we're, uh, we're lucky that way way um all korea it's a good answer under the radar nhl defender whose game you can't help but admire when you're doing a pre-scout <laughs> there's lots nhl forward same question 
uh, again, there's, there's there's so many good good defenders in the league. Uh, there's good defenders on teams that don't win either. And finally, average salary of your current contracts since since it hasn't yet been previously reported. <laughs> <laughs> More than my last one. <laughs> All right. So thanks for that. I think you answered like two of 10. So I, I think you're on all fours in the corner in the right of the season yeah. for you, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, yeah. We haven't, Canucks fans haven't seen you in a bit, but during the playoffs, there was that moment you're on vacation in Vegas taking in an NHL playoff game. You're shown on camera and immediately afterwards, Tyler Toffoli scores. Uh, as Canucks fans, uh, you know, in- enjoyed that symmetry, or or at least ruefully enjoyed that symmetry on uh, on Twitter. Did did you hear any reaction from that moment? Were you even aware that you were on TV at the time? Uh, I wasn't aware. No, until um, I don't know, probably a few minutes later, my phone uh, started <laughs> blowing up, and uh, then I was aware. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just one of those things, like uh, like a fitting capstone to last season? Uh, I didn't. I don't. I don't take a lot of. I haven't thought about much uh, the Foley scoring uh, really at all until you you uh, just brought it up. I don't think it's, <laughs> I didn't think about it then. I, you know, once a player leaves and and he's playing on another team, you you always want players to do well, but uh, you don't really look at it that way. Uh, obviously, in a game like that, if anything, I was I was happy for uh, for Toph to, to to be having success. Um, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't with us, but that happens in our business a lot. I think when you're in it a long time, you understand that, and you want good people to succeed. And and uh, I'm happy for him. I mean, I don't like it at our expense when we scored, but uh, in a game like that, I, I I would have been happy for him at the time. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With this summer, one thing that it's brought, in addition to revamping your roster and a bunch of other stuff that we'll get to in a right. bit, you you obviously reworked your staff, right? Um, yeah. Newell Browns landed in Anaheim in Orange County, uh, yeah. close to your summer home, and you've brought in Bradshaw. What can you tell us about the process uh, for you and, and the team as you went through those changes? And, and what's the workflow been like with your new staff so far? Um, man, where to start? Start. I, I can honestly say that it was probably the hardest decision I've ever been part of and, and had to make. I guess at the end of the day, um, was 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 making that change. Uh, Newell's not only in my mind a really good coach, but he's he's 
even a better person and uh, a very good friend of mine. So that part was extremely hard. Um, and then it will always remain that way in my mind. Uh, I, I just think that at the end of the day, we, we, we've had a staff that uh, had been together for a while. And much like our team, I, I think really needed to have some changes to it uh, after the season we had. It, you know, when I, the, the season, that season, I think it did leave a mark a little bit on our group. And um, I just think, you know, you see it a lot in, in, in the game where staffs are together for a while and sometimes they're, there needs to be, or you want there to be, I don't, I don't know if I'm right or not, or if we made the right decision, but sometimes different, different voices uh, help. And um, this was just a case where we felt like we wanted to add a few different voices to our group. Um, obviously we brought in a veteran coach and Brian Shaw, or <laughs> Shaw Z, Brad Shaw. And, um, you know, he's going to give us a different, a different presence, a different look. And, and most importantly, um, you know, just a different voice. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for him, but much like, uh, you know, I do for a lot of coaches in the NHL, but I think also we brought in a younger coach in Kyle Gustafson too, who's, who's going to bring in the, the, the enthusiasm, that youthfulness, um, eyes wide open, um, hasn't seen a lot in the league, which I think is also a good thing. Uh, I, I think there's something to be said for, for freshness and, and maybe even being a little naive at times. And that's okay. I, I'm actually, that's part of it that I'm welcoming. Uh, uh, he's a sharp guy. He's a sharp coach and he's got a lot of fresh ideas that I like. And um, I just think, uh, you know, I, sometimes change is good. With Newell departing, right? I mean, that's one of the most experienced power play assistants mm -hmm. you'll find in the NHL. And yep. Jason King assumes that portfolio. It'll be his first year behind a bench. Does yep. the shape of your coaching staff leave you in a position where you're more likely to be more involved with your top offensive players this year than you maybe yeah. have been in the past? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll have probably some more, uh, maybe a little more input, uh, you know, I've always been a coach that's really let let their coaches coach. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change that. But Kinger mm -hmm. and I have talked, and Kinger and I have a really good working relationship. Uh, um, I've mentioned to some of the guys already that are that are our top guys that I'll be a little bit more involved in in the power play, but still Kinger's gonna run it. And uh, you know, I, I might sit in more meetings, for example. Uh, have a little bit more more input, but not a whole lot. I just think, uh, you know, I'll be a little bit more involved, like you said. Mm -hmm. Is there a positive or a possible positive spillover effect from that, whether it impacts just the power play or, or maybe filters into other aspects of the game to have more touch points in that kind of manner? I'm not sure. I, I think it's easier yeah. to, to try to, you know, everyone – including you, you've got a job to do in the media and, and try to kind of make a story out of something. But I, I feel like I have a lot of touch points already with uh, our top guys. And, and um, you know, I also think that our top guys and, and top power plays as 
they're trying to word this right. The top power play units for me, the players really understand the power play. And they're almost like coaches in ways. They, they, you hear them on the bench come off and, and they're already talking about an adjustment that they need to make. Uh, then there's the skill level, obviously, of the power play players. And, and when I say skill player, I mean learning little nuances in the power play that take some time. And I think our young players um, are still getting to that stage. Uh, a guy like Quinn Hughes or, or, or PD, for example, or Besser, like, you know, and Bo. I think Millsy's a guy that's been in the league a while and has a, uh, maybe a little bit more knowledge on the power play in ways just because of being in the league longer. But uh, I also think that our young guys are very smart hockey players and they're learning every year. They learn a little more when it comes to little nuances that I'm talking about. And I, I can hear them on the, on the bench talking about it when they come off. And really, as a coach, that's what you want. Uh, because the power play, obviously, there's coaching that goes into it. But then the players have to go out and, and make the plays and read the plays. Uh, to make it effective because you, you can't just say we're going to do this. So the other team has a say in as well. I want to pick at JT on the power play in particular because you mentioned the brain that he has for that part of the game. And when you think about him coming in in his first season in Vancouver and starting at the net front as sort of your net front guy mm-hmm. and then moving to his downhill side where he kind of initiates, like most of the other guys are one-time options almost for him because you have three lefties up high with, with right. including Horvat and the bumper. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's been, he's been effective in both spots, right? Sure. You've defended Miller whenever he's come under criticism. Like he's clearly a player who <laughs> you trust, right? Uh, what, what is it about his game that has worked so well for you in his two years in Vancouver in your, in your view? I, I think when you say I defend players or, or as a coach, when, when you do defend players, um, there's no players that, you know, I'm not sitting here saying JT Miller is, is perfect, is the perfect player uh, on the ice. It's hard to find those kind of guys, but I will defend JT. This guy loves to win and he is ultra, ultra competitive and he's mm-hmm. good. And it's easy to defend guys that are good, um, ultra competitive and love winning. Now, are there things that he's done or yeah, that I haven't liked? Of course there are, uh, you know, and, and last year probably there was a few more things that I didn't like in his game than I did the year before, but that's not coincidence. We were mm-hmm. losing, uh, he was playing a different position. He was playing a lot of probably more minutes than he should. Um, and he and these are things that we've talked about too, as well. And we do talk JT and I talk a lot behind closed doors. And I think, you know, to a man in our room, we still push our players to become better. And we're going to continue to do that. But, you know, you also have to to look at each player individually and how you push them. And and I tend to back players that just love to win, are ultra competitive. Uh, You know, there's a saying that you'd rather have have lions on your team than have to tame lambs. And... You know, you want guys like that. And I think to win in this league is hard. And you've got to have ultra-competitive guys that hate losing. I, I put too much spin on the ball there with the defend Miller thing because I really just wanted to hear you talk about 
his importance to the power play and how quickly he adjusted to being an initiator. I, I think people would be surprised to, to realize that he's kind of like the quarterback, like most things flow through him uh, five on four. Yeah, I think, I think in a way, the way our power play was set up, when you have mm-hmm. a lefty coming down on that side, he, that, that's the reason that he's going to get the puck. I think there's, there's so many different ways to run a power play. Um, and a lot of it determines on, on what you have on your team in the hands of your players, uh, how it sets up, the shooters, who's the shooter, who's smart enough to make a play and see the hole, see, see what's available, uh, who can make a touch pass, who can let a pass go. And, and those are all things that you know a lot of people probably would never understand when they, if they haven't played you know, a, a, in the NHL on a power play and, uh, and B if they haven't played you know, a high level of hockey. But, uh, and as coaches, we're trying to constantly fit that in. It's, it's a puzzle that you're trying to fit together. And I think we've had a lot of success running different looks. And I think we're going to constantly uh, continue to change our looks. I think we need to, but also figure out what works best for your group. And, and I think this year we'll be able to have two groups um, that'll also be effective, which is important. You need to have success from both groups. Obviously, your first group will score more, but you need to get goals from the second group as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the and the performance of your power play year over year sort of stands as a testament to that, right? Yeah. yeah um, sure. With with another right-handed scorer, a guy who you know can be pretty lethal uh, and has spent a lot of time at that left circle in Arizona and Connor Garland. Um, what sort of options does that give you? Because you've pretty regularly only had sort of two righty forwards um, on your power play over the past couple of years. Uh, does the additional versatility, like, would there be an advantage in your view to having two righties on PP1 or even the option, the versatility to go to that, uh, should you decide to in season? Uh, it will for sure. Uh, I think Connor uh, Garland is going to give us a lot of uh, benefits, not just on the power play, but our overall game. Um, when you talk about the power play, I think having another righty is going to help us. I think Connor is a guy that can play, uh, different positions as well. And he's not just, he can play net front, he can play bumper. He's, he's played all, all four spots in Arizona. Uh, he's also a young guy that, again, when I, I go back to the youthfulness of our group, mm-hmm. he's still a young player in the league that's, that's learning that position as well, but he's got an enormous amount of skill level. Uh, he's got good vision on the ice and, and, he's, and he's a competitive guy. And, and I just want to go back to JT really quickly because, uh, yeah, I wasn't planning on asking this, but I, but I've often wondered about it, and I think it's relevant, especially with the player that you know in in the mind's eye of Canucks fans, they're hoping to see from Vasily Podkolzin, a, a rookie player. But typically speaking, heavier wingers coming into your teams over the past couple of years, uh, whether it's Josh Levo from Toronto or Tanner Pearson from Pittsburgh or JT Miller from Tampa that player type in particular has seemed to have a lot of success working with you and, and within your system. What, what is it do you think about the way your teams play that permits those players to do so well, or that player type, whether you want to call them like a digger or a heavy press or whatever um, to sort of excel? Uh, I think when you talk about heavier bodies or players like that, I, I think, you know, it's not just our team. Uh, and when you're talking, 
talking about those players, uh, you know, yeah, Josh Lebo had, had, had a good year with us. JT Miller, I don't look at JT Miller like he's just a, a huge guy or a big power forward. He's just he's just competitive and he's strong on the puck and he's got, he's got good hockey sense. Um, for me, you know, winning puck battles is you look at good teams. Uh, they're they they're heavy on the puck, and when I say heavy, they um, they just own a lot of pucks, little loose pucks they come up with. And, and is that strength? Part of it is. Is that uh, size? Sometimes it is. Is that quickness and being brave? Yeah, part of that it, it it's that too. And there's also the, the side of uh, you know being a veteran and being the league and understanding the importance of it. And, and I think uh, for me, it's just not bigger bodies. It's just guys that can own the puck. Uh, last week, I was going through a lot of our goals against from last season. And, um, you know, there's so many times when you're watching it, you're watching it, you know, a uh, hundred of them. I got through about half of them one night. And, um, you know, you, you own a puck here, you're harder on a puck there. Uh, it changes a lot of things in the game does that ruin your evening to go through that exercise it does yeah i gotta <laughs> I try to follow it up with the goals for <laughs> uh, you said at the tail end of last season that the experience you'd had that you'd gone through uh had made you a better coach with space to reflect on it and it's been three months minus 10 days since you know canucks steel last hit the ice right. what was the biggest lesson you'll take from last year do you think I'm not sure if I could sit here and just pick out one lesson. I, I think, you know, whenever you go through adversity, um, it teaches you a lot. Uh, I've said it many times. Sometimes losing and, and going through adversity, it teaches you more than when you win. Uh, you hear it a lot, players that win at an early age, um, and then they don't win for a long time. They they maybe didn't appreciate the good times as, as much as the, they they should have. And, uh, you know, I thought last year there was a lot of adversity, yeah, not just for us, but for the whole, the whole league in ways. Uh, I said it at the beginning of the year to our coaches that uh, just when we were probably three weeks in that I said, you know, the teams that are winning this year uh, and our things are going good and are rolling good are going to are going to have a huge advantage as the season goes on just because of uh, the, the, you know, how intense and the density of the schedule Right. Uh, the losing is going to, you know, having going through rough times, you're not going to be able to catch your breath like you do in a regular season. Um, you know, trying to keep your team uh, confident because uh, with confidence comes motivation. Um, you know, that, that was a big part of last year. Uh, and, and not just for the players, but even your staff. Everyone wants to win so badly. Um, trying to make sure that you keep a level head and, and try to find answers uh, that are going to be productive and not answers that are going to be detrimental to your group is, is, is one of the things I learned. And I think you're always looking for that as a coach. But uh, in a year like last year, uh, you know, it was probably more prevalent. Yeah, and, and that dovetails with some of your comments about how last season left a mark, right? And we've sort of seen that play out a little bit this offseason with uh, Alex Edler's departure, for example, and him right. saying after the fact that, you know, he wasn't having fun playing. Um, right. How do you go about resetting, I suppose, especially with a shortened training camp? And we're not really sure what type of restrictions will still apply. 
uh, and obviously you're integrating a ton of new bodies. How do you how do you sort of uh, turn the page on that, especially considering the weight? Yeah. I don't you think know? you ever just turn the page. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you just you don't. When you go through hard things, you know, that's that's why you, they're hard because they leave a mark. And right. uh, you know, I, I think it'd be foolish just to say, "Hey, let's just turn the page." I don't think it's something that you can dwell on either, though. Um, I've talked to all of our players about you know next season, uh, the expectations. Um, the attitude, the commitment uh, that we're gonna that we need to have. I'm not gonna continue to talk about last season. I, I think that could be use, useless energy. And um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about what we're gonna do going forward. And still, those lessons hopefully have been learned. And for me, it's after the moves we've made. It's it's about coming back and and little. A bit of redemption uh you know we made some noise the year before we were we were on the right track uh last year we took a step back but that happens sometimes uh, you know you look at a team like tampa bay they, you know this is this is one of the better teams we've seen the nhl for a long time they've also gone through a lot of adversity as well along the way and uh that's all part of winning in the nhl and and you know you you indulged us with the lightning round, so we'll indulge you by moving along uh, and and not focusing on last season beyond one more question, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> I just want to ask you I just want to ask you in the wake of uh, how things played out this off season with Nate Schmidt did did you ever have a chance to talk to him about perhaps why it hadn't worked what why do you think it didn't work work out so well perhaps on both sides in that sort of one year uh, marriage. I talked to Schmidt yeah, at the end of the year and, and I, I, you know, I talked to him probably three weeks before uh, the trade, a month before the trade. And I, and I texted with him after the trade. Um, you know, I think self-admittedly, he probably didn't play his best last season. Uh, we probably didn't see him at his best, but uh, that can be said about a lot of guys. And, um, you know, I, I wish nothing, but the but the best for for, for Schmidt and, and and his future in terms of going forward, but also touching a little bit on where your club has been the past few years. Um, you know, you hear, I'm sure, some of the media scouting reports and and the talk about your club's defensive game. How do you take a step as a group in that area, and how big a point of emphasis is it for you this off season? Well, it is. It's uh, I think when you you know. The, when you talk about good teams, bad teams, teams that don't have good seasons, uh, you know, everyone thinks about the teams that score, score goals and have all this skill, but the teams that are winning in the top of the league, they're, they're also at the top of the, the league defensively. And, um, you know, it's no coincidence that the teams that don't have the good records, they're at the bottom of the league defensively. Mm-hmm. So we know full well that we need to be better in that area. Um, and that, that comes in a number of ways. I think when your team improves, uh, and, and, and if your team is a better hockey team, has better hockey players than, than any teams than, than the year before, they're going to be better in that area, uh, just by having, having better hockey players, but it's also a commitment from your group. It's, there's a lot of teaching, a lot of learning, um, you know, and, and, and I don't mean just the players either. That's the coaches demanding it. Uh, it's stuff that we've already talked about with our group uh, that we need to be a better better defensive team. But in saying that, you've heard me say it 
a lot that, uh, you know, a forecheck affects your breakouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same way with defensive hockey. Uh, owning the puck and having the puck in the offensive zone uh, is going to help your defensive. And then there's obviously the actual defense. And right. if you really broke down defensive hockey, we looked around the league, uh, which we do a lot of and study different systems that there, there's only a few different systems that are used. And then it comes down to really how you teach it, how you coach it, the level of your players, if they can do it. Um, and I'm expecting our team to be better defensively next year, but I also expect them to be better offensively as well. And, uh, you know, I think if you talk to any coach, they want a team that is that is good at both ends of the rink. I also think that we have some younger players uh, that we've tried to never stifle their game offensively, and they're going to learn to be better at the defensive side of the game as well. And, and and that just comes with being mature in your game and understanding it. Tech uh, management is a big part of defensive hockey. The turnovers kill you in this league. That's where a lot of offense is created off turnovers. And I think that's an area that we need to be better at as well. I think if we're harder on the puck and we manage the puck a little better, uh, that's going to help as well. So it's an area in our game that we know as a coaching staff and, and, you know, it's not just our staff. Every staff in the league focuses on defensive hockey, but, but uh, the way analytics are uh, and, and the fact that we use them as well Uh we're obviously aware of where we need to improve in our game. And, and uh, we have to install certain drills in practice and work on a little more. And, and you touched on training camp. Uh, I think this year's training camp will feel like it's, it's a long camp. We're going to have lots of time to work on our game. We want to get down to our team probably a little quicker than we have. And uh, work in a lot of different areas that we didn't get a chance to. Do you start to take? I a rambled pers- on a little bit there. No, no, <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, the the problem is you left me with some questions that I now want to come back to, but I want to first follow up by asking you if you begin to take it personally that you're being described more widely as like an offensive minded coach because that certainly <laughs> wasn't your mo in Utica, right? Um, do you yeah, think it's fair? Uh, do you think it's? I, I don't. I, I I don't know if I've heard that before, but. Uh, and that's fine. I, I, you know, I think if you ask the people uh, that know me best, they'd probably say, say that he's more defensive minded. I think. <laughs> I think every coach probably tends to be that way. Uh, maybe if people think that way is because I've I've used the words fast and aggressive before. Uh, but that that was something that we wanted to install when we first got here. That we wanted to be a faster team, a little bit more aggressive team. I felt like we needed to have that attitude. Uh, installed into our group. Uh, but I think when you look at teams that win, they are fast and they are aggressive, but that doesn't mean that you're, you're not being defensive. Uh, I think with some of the aggressiveness that we've had to play in years past, um, has it affected maybe some of our rush game? Yes. We've always looked at different things and, and different parts of the game to, to make adjustments in our game. And, and even that, there was there was a time where we we did make adjust, a little adjustments as far as our our being aggressive for checking team and changing that a little bit, but that's just part of coaching. But as far as um, me being an offensive minded coach or defensive minded coach, I, I think I'm more of a you know much like probably every coach in the league, 
they get 200 foot coach demanding wanting to be good in all areas of the game. Well, and you mentioned tweaking the system because we saw something happen. I still I still don't know that I have a really good grasp on what, but we saw something happen in late January, right last year, and then your club began to control play a bit more in February. But we also right. saw something happen during the pause last year, right in terms of your overall defensive game and then we saw a team yeah. that was much more bend not break defensively when you guys won a couple rounds in the bubble yeah. um yeah. was it was it frustrating after that work and then to see that work pay off against minnesota and st louis and, and even vegas um to then sort of take a step back again defensively last season like as you think about yeah i think that's just an accumulation of how frustrating the whole season was last year after the playoffs right um and I'm not going to use excuses. Uh, we didn't have a good year. We we own that. That's part of it. Uh, I, I think we're going to be much better next season. I, I, not that I think it, but I truly believe it. Yeah. Well, and how much do you think some of the new personnel you've brought in, whether it's a guy like Dickinson or, or Garland and, you know, still young players, but, you know, not, not 22, they're 25, right? And then you add Pullman into the mix you know, the, the fact that you can go and list six Canucks defenders before you get to guys like Brad Hunt and Luke Shen, who are, you know, NHL level players without doubt. Uh, how much will those changes, those upgrades uh, help you in your view? Uh, immensely. Uh, that's why you make changes in the offseason. I think Jim's done a good job in adding some elite players to our group. Um, and like I said earlier, it's no coincidence that the best teams in the that win at the end of the day have the best numbers offensively and the best numbers defensively or, you know, trend that way. So the first step is making your team better on paper. And uh, and then the next step is going out and playing. I also think this part of it uh, is the usefulness of our team is going to, as it matures, our team is going to get better. I don't think a lot of our young players, not that I don't think, I know, uh, haven't reached their potential yet. And those are our key guys, uh, our key players that play against the other team's top players. And they're all still getting better, which for me is is one of the most exciting teams or items of our franchise. In the wake of the offseason moves, Jim noted that the coaching staff had spent some time watching video on uh, some of the new additions. And, and I believe it was an answer specifically about Tucker Pullman. I also saw in an interview you gave to Ian McIntyre last week, you discussed watching some video of OEL. Um, you know, obviously you were in Vancouver while the meat of the club's offseason moves were going down. Uh, in terms of video scouting and input and working well or working well, working at all with the, with management, Canucks management, Jim and everyone else, um, how involved were you and your staff in identifying some of the players that could help you defensively? Well, I think overall, when Jim and I, Jim and I communicate about everything we do, uh, you know, I, he's, I think that's one of the things that I I really appreciate working with Jim. Uh, myself, our staff, we, like, you know, Shazi and Bomber, they watched a lot of defensemen um, throughout the summer, throughout the, the buildup toward free agency. Um, and obviously, Jim's the GM. He makes the final call, but he does take a lot of input from our group and what we think and what we believe in. And uh, he puts it all together, and he, he's obviously the one that makes the final call. And 
last one for me because the AHL teams come in Abbotsford locally. You've got a ton of experience having coached down in the American League, and your teams or your organization anyway has um, you know spent a lot. Like frankly, right? There's been a lot of talent brought in. Um, you know those sort of tweener types yeah. who can probably play 10 good games for you or maybe 15, 20 good games for you, but also are going to be elite players at the American League level. Um, you you mentioned getting down to your numbers relatively quickly at training camp this year. Uh, how, what benefits can having a loaded AHL team have for you at the NHL level, but also how much trickier does it make navigating training camp in general, especially if you're keen on you know, making relatively rapid cuts here? Well, I think it's important. Um, you know, there's something to be said about competition, um, internal competition. I think it's thing, you know, every team talks about it. Uh, and it's harder, it's harder to get than it is to talk about. I think if there's one thing you can look at our group right now is there's, it's going to be very competitive in training camp. Um, there's going to be jobs won, there's going to be jobs lost. Uh, I think the fact that we have you know, that we've assembled a team that we have, the team that Ryan Johnson's put together uh, for us in Abbotsford is, is, is going to help our team immensely. Uh, never mind the fact that when we do get down to the final roster and, and the players that are sent down, we're going to have a lot of good players that we can call up that'll be hungry to stay in the NHL and, and prove that they, they belong. And there's probably going to be a couple guys that are disappointed in training camp, uh, as there should be. Uh, it's a privilege to play in the NHL. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, good teams have strong competition within their group. And uh, I think we've got our team to that place. But there's going to be some spots up for grabs. And, and uh, then there's going to be players when there's injuries that can come up and, and potentially win a job back as well. Well, and obviously your organization does make decisions based on camp. We've seen it repeatedly. Right. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch, man. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you back on the ice, and thanks for doing this. All right, Even Thomas. though, you know, you rallied well from a brutal lightning round performance. So <laughs> least, kudos to you. Uh, you, were, you rallied a little bit, but I won't give you that much better. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, bye. Well, thanks, man. Okay, bye. Thank you to Travis Green for joining us today on the VanCast. And, of course, we've got the Athletic Hockey Show elsewhere at the Athletic Podcast Network with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. They're welcoming New Jersey Devils General Manager Tom Fitzgerald this week at The Athletic. Uh, check out the comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app and rate and subscribe to VanCast on Apple. If you are, aren't already a subscriber, and, and you've got to be a subscriber, you've got to join the VIPs, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. That does it for this week's episode of the VanCast from The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.